0: I'll tell you what, there's many things that I love, but i tell you two of my favorite things that I love, especially at God's incredible Feast of Tabernacles. One of those is to hear the Psalms recited and spoken by such a lovely young lady as we just got to hear. And the second, of course, is to hear Ray Kerr sing. It's nice to have Ray here. I don't get to see Ray, but I think I've been seeing Ray a little bit more in Tulsa, and I'm very excited to see Ray. Well, I'll tell you what, you can travel, you can make your preparations, but it's not until you see the faces, for me anyway, that I know it's the Feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. I met Dale Murphy and I met a lot of you four years ago. And there's something comforting about Dale Murphy, as, as you might know. You know there's even something comforting in about the manner in which he does his announcements. But I'll tell you, Dale, you really gave me some comfort today when you, you let us all know that the lunch today will be edible. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. If you look at your, your watch or you look at your phone or you look at a calendar on the wall, Today is the 20th, right? Isn't today the 20th? Okay. When I saw that it was the 20th, it reminded me that 20 years ago this week, I attended my very first feast, and I made a decision on that very first feast that I attended. I got baptized. Okay. It is the Feast of Tabernacles, and I know that there may be some of you very happy to be here, who need to maybe think a little bit more seriously about that next choice, and that's to be baptized at the Feast of Tabernacles. Who in here has been baptized at a feast? It's a few. And I tell you what, every time the feast rolls around, I'll never forget that day being next to my wife and my oldest son, who is now over 20. I was holding him and it was my time to get in the water and there I went and had those hands laid on me. If you are thinking about it, if it's something you've thought about in the past, it's time to go through with it. This is the feast to make that commitment. Well, as you think about that, what I want you to do if you have your scriptures with you, between Luke and between Acts, we have what? John. If you would take that bit of scripture, that writing of John, as you hold it, as you look at it, I want you to read this scripture we're going to start with today. I want to begin the message today with the way that John ended, okay? His gospel message, his testimony. So as we look at John 21:25 as you were holding John, as you see John in your hands, we look at this verse and there are also many other things. Now there's probably someone in this room that didn't know that this was even in the Bible. And there are also many other things which Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua did, the which if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Now we've got a few hymnals floating around. And I'll tell you something concerning the hymnals from the feast in Branson from four years ago. I'm going to miss a man named John Guffey who some of you know, and I just met at that feast. He was very dutiful about the hymnals. And I'm going to miss John. He was such an encouragement to me to meet so many of you for the first time four years ago, and I miss him dearly. But if you could think about just this room, filled with books about the things that Jesus did. That's quite a lot of books. But look what you've got in your hand. Of what John says and what John wrote, it's an incredible contrast. In fact, John itself is big enough to fold it and fold it and even put it in your back pocket. It's exactly what I used to do with my homework. He supposed, but he wrote 21 chapters, 39 plus or minus pages. But you know, it was centuries before, centuries before he did these many other things that John alludes to. And I tell you what, the first time I read that verse, my mind went after all of the things that he could have possibly done outside of what the eyewitness testimony says. But centuries before he did these many other things that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written, centuries before in the time of Moses, it was made known that a prophet, the prophet, would be raised up from among the brethren and he would speak, Commanded words. Scripture says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren. It was told to Moses, Like unto you, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And as you read what John wrote, that is the very testimony of Messiah. He did just that. And, of course, in Isaiah, we behold the servant. In Isaiah, we behold the servant of the Most High. And Isaiah writes that the servant of the Most High, he will, be, he will deal prudently. He will deal prudently. He will be exalted. And he will be very high. Because I say amen, I say hallelujah, yes, the child's been born. And even greater, the sun's been given. And thinking about a lyric from what Rages, said, the rhetoric of government. What have we heard? What have we learned from the Feast of Tabernacles is that the government one day will be what? Upon his shoulder. Praise God, rhetoric will be gone. And the government will be where? It's why we're here. It's what we anticipate and praise God like Ian said last night thy kingdom come because if we think that if we could just get the right man in the right office things could change it's futile things will only change when the government is upon his shoulders now you have the canon of Scripture before you There are the apocryphal books, those books of the apocrypha, and we even have the Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls. But when you think about what John wrote, when you hold it, it doesn't take up much room either. And you know, you've probably got several, several versions. And in your room, if you're staying here or staying wherever you are, there very likely is one in the drawer of your room. Because every time I travel, every hotel, motel that I check into, the first thing I do is I go open up that drawer and I say, yep, the Gideons are all over it. And no matter where you go, wherever your wanderings take you, if you stay in a hotel or a motel, you can turn to Psalm 19 and understand that the Torah teaching, the instructions, the doctrine of the Most High is perfect converting restoring and return and restoring and returning your soul I've asked a few people this question over the last few weeks just to get a response and I say what does your mind do when you think of everlasting to everlasting can you think about everlasting to everlasting I know what I think of everlasting I do something like this okay I can't but I'm going to say this is everlasting to everlasting. If we look at everlasting past, okay, and you think about a certain point in time, a very incredible, remarkable point in time that I am that I am revealed himself and then he wrote He wrote upon two tables of testimony, tables of stone. And how did he do it? With his very finger. Two tables of testimony, tables of stone. And according to the pattern that was revealed unto Moses, according to that pattern that was revealed unto Moses, those two tables, they didn't take up much room either. And they were placed in that ark to be born upon the shoulder. Now, we understand from Tabernacle's past, and I'm sure we will continue to deepen our understanding from Tabernacle's future, that the world itself, what John talks about not being capable of, of holding all of the books that should be written of all the wonderful things that Messiah did. But we understand that the world itself, creation, was spoken into being. Let there be, and it became. Then it was Adam, right, made in the image of Elohim, formed. Dust of the ground formed. Two nostrils were formed and then the breath of life blown into those freshly formed of the dust nostrils. But I want you to think about something. Creation spoken into being. Adam formed of the dust of the ground. But when we think about the fact that God Almighty wrote in the enormity of possibility from everlasting to everlasting of anything of all the things that he could have written. It still continues to amaze me and thrill my heart and mind that he wrote personally the words of the covenant. I want you to think about that in the enormity of possibility. Of what the Most High could have written when he did he wrote the words of the covenant with his very finger so in this when you try to wrap your mind around his majesty and greatness when you think that he one day at one particular time in the time of Moses revealed himself I am that I am and then wrote and handed handwritten words to him how important do you think these words are to God so the next thing is how important are his words to each one of us if you've got your scriptures with you turn to the area of of Exodus 20 just in that vicinity Exodus 20 It's raining, but yet I'm so dry today. As you look at the words of the covenant in Exodus 20, really what I want to do today is I want to just focus on one word. Here in the words of the covenant in Exodus 20, this particular word that I want us to look at today is in his introduction. When the Almighty, the Most High, the Eternal reveals Himself, says, This is me. Here is how I am revealing myself to you with these words that I have personally written for you to know me. And the word is in verse 6. The word is chesed in the original language, chesed, and it is written mercy. Mercy. In his introduction, written on those tables of stone, carried within that ark, in the introduction of who He is, who He is revealing Himself to be, the incredible word just said, the word mercy. Now, as you know your scriptures, as you know your Bibles as you have been to many tabernacles, and I know that there may be one or two or maybe more, that this is their very first Feast of Tabernacles. But thinking of mercy, thinking thinking of Chesed, where in Scripture do you think it is more in terms of volume? In the volume of verses, who speaks to us the most about mercy? If you would say the Psalms, you would be correct because between Psalm 5 and Psalm 147, mercy is throughout those psalms. But in the volume of what the psalmist wrote, it's Isaiah. I want to start talking about mercy. It's in Isaiah. Isaiah 63, verse 7. He needs our attention because of the way he starts this verse. He says, oh, I will mention... 63 chapters in, yeah? Verse 7, I will mention thee loving-kindnesses, Chesed. It's a little bit of a difference to me in the word mercy and the word loving-kindness. Loving-kindness to me feels more dynamic, actually like it's happening. Loving-kindness to me goes up to mercy and even gives it a bigger hug. Loving kindness. But Isaiah says, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the eternal. The praises of the Most High. According to all that the Almighty hath bestowed on us. And the great goodness toward the house of Israel. Which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies. Now just as it's very difficult to wrap your mind around everlasting to everlasting that which the eternal occupies. Here's another one that is very hard to wrap your mind around in our limitations, is how he ends this verse, which he says, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. His chesed. The multitude of of His loving kindnesses. said, mercy, loving kindness, how the Most High, God Almighty, introduces Himself in the words and in the manner in which He personally wrote for each one of us to know Him. That's what He wants. He wants you to know Him. And when coming to know him coming to understand him he wants you to know that he's merciful and he has a multitude an unsearchable richness the treasure and storehouse in the multitude of his loving kindnesses well after Isaiah wrote the incredible book that Isaiah is, all of the messianic prophecies, all that looked forward to that child being born, all that looked forward to that given son, that all that looked forward to what we each look forward to at this feast, the government rule, established merciful rule to be established on this earth. We know what happened through the 10 tribes of Israel. We understand what happened to the house of Judah, but there was this post-captivity and the return back to Jerusalem. It was in the days of Nehemiah after the Feast of Tabernacles. Scripture says that the people gathered, the people congregated to confess their sins. And they acknowledged, it says, yes, Almighty God, even though you did reveal and make known your ways, your Sabbaths, the Torah teaching, the instructions, the principles of life, even though he fed them, even though he provided drink, he provided everything in the abundance of his provision, which is in the multitude of his tender mercies. Even though he bore them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself, what was the response? Continues in Nehemiah and says that the fathers dealt proudly. That even though acknowledging that this had happened, they hardened their neck. They refused to hear him. They refused to obey him, but I... And even in the rebellion, they appointed a captain to return them to the bondage that they had just been liberated from. It's not enough that the neck's hardened. It's not enough that we're not even going to listen to you. It's not enough that we're not even going to think about obeying to you. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to band together, pick us out a leader to take us back to the bondage that you brought us out from. And even though all of this transpired in their acknowledgement, even though through all of this, look at Nehemiah 9, verse 19. Even though all of that, that was done right in his face. Right in his face. Look what Nehemiah says. Yet you. Yet you. in thy Manifold mercies. He forsook them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. Okay, this will be the first of a threefold cord that's unbreakable. Nehemiah 9, verse 19. In His mercy, manifold, multitude of, what's He say? It's what Messiah said. He's not going to depart from you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to depart from you and He's not going to forsake you in showing you the way that you should go so whatever we do whatever happens if interest is lost in the revelation of the restorative path that are his festival appointments he will not depart from us He will not forsake us from showing us the path in which we should go. That's why I love the Psalms. Hannah read a, a Psalm close to Psalm 143, which we pray, Cause me, cause us, eternal, cause us to know, there's that word again, not hope and think that maybe you might, cause us to know that you will show us the way in which we are to go and in Nehemiah he won't forsake you and he won't depart from you from showing you the way in which you are to go number one Nehemiah 19 number two Psalm 25 10 Psalm 25 10 speaking of his loving kindness All the paths of the eternal are what? Somebody. Mercy. Chesed. All the paths are mercy. And truth. But notice what he says in Psalm 25.10. Mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Well, now, this takes us right back to the third in the words that our God wrote himself when we look at Exodus 20, verse 6. Exodus 20, verse 6. Showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Showing. Okay, mercy... Loving kindness shown to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. But the question is, what about mercy shown to those that don't? Showing mercy unto thousands that... But what about mercy shown unto those that don't. Now when you think about the kings of Israel and you think about the kings of Judah, most are familiar with King Ahaz, And to say that King Ahaz followed in the ways, followed in the path of the kings of Israel, that which was perpetuated and started by Jeroboam, then going through all of that, to say that Ahaz walked in the way of the kings of Israel, that's a very mild descriptor of all of the things that we can read and know that Ahaz did. He reigned for 16 years. Then it was Hezekiah cleansed the temple, restored the temple worship, kept the Passover, kept the double portion of unleavened bread. And to say that Hezekiah was just a reformer is another mild descriptor. And he reigned for 29 years. And we've all heard of Manasseh. It was his turn. Manasseh was a rebuilder of what his father, the reformer, destroyed, because it was time for the ways of granddad, Ahaz, to be reinstated during his rule. In the life of Manasseh, let's look at Second Chronicles 33 and verse 10. And the Eternal spoke to Manasseh. Did you get that? And the Lord spoke to Manasseh. And He spoke to His people. Here we go. What happened? But they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't hearken. Now see, the next word, wherefore, is the wherefore for not hearkening. It seems as though there at times is a wherefore. If you do hearken or if you don't hearken, if you do hear, if you don't hear, there comes that word wherefore. In the case of Manasseh, not just Manasseh. It's the people. Wherefore the Eternal brought upon them... the captains captains of the host of the king of Assyria, Esarhaddon, this particular king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns, bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. The old King James, in this instance, is the third mild descriptor because what the NIV says concerning Manasseh was they put a hook in his nose bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. In fact at dinner last night I had a little time to spend with Mr. Hufton, comforting Dale Murphy. We talked about this a little bit among other things. But in Bullinger's Companion Bible there's a, a footnote that he makes concerning this that it was S.R. Haddon the king of Assyria and there was a monument that has been found recording what he did and in the monument, the hook is not in the nose, it's through the lips. That's pretty rough. And all of that came about behind the word, wherefore. But what prompted the wherefore, okay, Because wherefore, it's a merciful word. But in the abundance of his mercies, what did he do? Manasseh, people. But what did the people do? Same thing. I don't want to hear any of that. In fact, I don't want to hear any of that anymore. And We're going to band together, appoint ourselves a captain, and you know what? We really, with a high hand, want to go back to the bondage you brought us out of. Dot, dot, dot. Wherefore? Now having a hook in your nose it's trendy. <laughs> having a hook in your lips it's trendy. But being shackled and chained and carried off to Babylon. doesn't matter how trendy you are, that's one thing you do not want. But see, unlike Ahaz, unlike Ahaz, who in the time of Ahaz's distress, he continued to trespass even more. When the heavy hand came on Ahaz, his hand went up and he trespassed even more. But Manasseh, Manasseh, when he was in affliction, verse 12, when Manasseh, when he was in affliction, he sought out, he sought out God Almighty. Notice, he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed unto him. Hooked and shamed and deported, he sought him out. He humbled himself greatly and he prayed to him. He prayed to him. I'm thinking that with the example of Hezekiah, it wasn't the first time that he prayed to God, but it was probably the first time in a very long time because Manasseh reigned for a long time. But notice what happened. In seeking him out, in humbling himself, and praying unto him, he was entreated of him. Why? Chesed, mercy, loving kindness. He heard his supplication, and this is fantastic. And brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Brought him again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. He brought him back. How do you describe that? If you had one word to describe this, it's the covenant word, Chesed. It is the covenant word found in the words of the covenant, written how? By his very finger, revealing who he is in a word. This is his loving kindness. So the question I have, what does this exhibit concerning our Father? What does this exhibit about our Father? Okay, how about this? In mercy, in His chesed, it's a beautiful word, in His loving kindness, remember the title of the message in his mercy there is room to return in his mercy there is room to return but I have to say in the words of Isaiah you better seek him while he may be found In his mercy there is room to return, but you better call upon him. Okay? While he is near. You're at the Feast of Tabernacles. I assume you think he is very near. In his mercy there is room to return, because in his mercy Manasseh knew. He knew. What did he know? It's what we say we know, that the eternal Most High God, He is God. Showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments, all the paths of the Most High are mercy and truth unto such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. And in His mercy there is room to return, Manasseh was restored, and what did he do? He returned. Boy, it was a long road. (laughs) But in the life of Manasseh, you can say, praise God, that he did. He did something Ahaz did not do. And that in that affliction, in that condition, what did he do? He sought out the merciful God. He humbled himself greatly before him. He prayed to him. And you know what? In his mercy, he heard him. We've kind of had two words kind of working in tandem today. The primary word I wanted to convey and talk about because it's been on my mind so much lately is, Chess his mercy, his loving kindness. But the other word is know. Not no. Not N O, K N O W. No mercy. No. It's what God continually wants us to do, it's to know him. If he's going to introduce himself by writing something with his very finger, I think he wants you to know him. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. What's the first word? There it is. No. Not hope you got it all figured out? You better think and you better stress it out, hoping you may do want you get all worked up and doubt and just say, oh, I hope. It's not. It's the first word. No. K-N-O-W. Sounds like a radio station. We could start a radio station called K-N-O-W and just have the Psalms 24-7. Especially the Chesed Psalms, the Mercy, Loving Kindness Psalms on K-N-O-W 24-7. Know therefore that the eternal thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and what? Mercy. Keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. But notice, that sounds wonderful. That sounds wonderful. I hope it doesn't sound like something that you say we well, yeah, maybe one day I'll get round to that mercy because he says in the midst of this he repays them that hate him to their face just as mercy kindness loving kindness is beautiful language comforting language it still is strong language but I tell you how he kind of opposes that in this bit when he says, and repays them that hate them, hate him to their face, to destroy them, he will not be slack to him that hates him, he will repay him to his face. That's very strong language. Because when the mercy is out there for you to seek after to find and to know who it is that's offering the loving-kindness? He's very serious that if you don't. As we continue in this part of Deuteronomy, you shall therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command you this day to do them. There's that wherefore again. (laughs) He's speaking. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments, and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God will keep, shall keep unto you the covenant and the mercy which He swore unto your fathers. Now there's a colon because let's have some specifics. In this covenant, and in this mercy, let's go to the next and see some particulars. And He will love you. He will love you. Love in any language. We can say it. We share it but to have Him love you. It's like trying to put everlasting to everlasting in a box and say, yep, got it figured out. That's incredible. He will love you and bless you, multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land the corn, the wine, your oil, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of your sheep and in the land which he sware unto your fathers to give you. Last bit. Last bit. Let's go one more, Brian. Continuing in Deuteronomy 7, after this, in the land which he sware unto your fathers to give you. It says, you shall be blessed above all people. And it all started after wherefore. And what did he say? I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. I have mercy. I have loving kindness. I want you to know who it is. And I won't depart from you. I won't forsake you from showing, for showing you he will never depart from us, never forsake us from showing us the way that we should go. And he continues to do that. Hearken. Here. Acknowledge. Call upon him. Seek him. Humble yourself. Pray to him. Accept the greatest thing you could ever have in this earthen vessel is having His mercy actualized in your life to where it changes everything that you are, everything that you think, and just basically you at the core to please Him in everything you think about, everything you say, and everything you do. But we still have to work at it there are times even in my own life that the last thing I want to hear about is God's mercy. Praise God that's short. And through continuing, continuing, continuing to walk upon the revealed path, being shown feast after feast, appointment after appointment, being shown the way that I should go, the closer I am to His mercy and the closer and more intimate I am in what? His covenant. Because we all want Him to love us, and He does. This particular part of Scripture in Deuteronomy talks about the fruit of your womb, the blessing, the real blessing that children are. And to see a young lady here speak the Psalms to us, what a blessing. I have one of my sons here with me today. My daughter will be here tonight. My oldest son is away at school. But the next bit of Scripture I want us to look at begins with my son. So I'm going to have my son come read it because I just like the way he says it. We're going to be looking at proverbs 3 1 through 8 my son forget not my Torah but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall I add to you let not mercy and truth Amen. forsake you bind them about your neck write them upon the table of your heart so, so shall you find find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man Trust in the Most High with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding, all your, ag- in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Almighty and depart from evil. It shall, hel- it shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. Alright, I love that particular part about let not mercy and truth forsake you, because what does the psalmist say? That all the paths of the Most High are what? Just that! Mercy and truth. Solomon comes around and says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. So how do you do that? How do you let not mercy and truth forsake you? It's very simple. Continue to walk in the revealed path for His paths, all of His ways, all of His revelation of His divine nature is just that it's mercy and truth and you want to stay in covenant relationship. With the goal of each year deepening the intimacy and understanding of the revelation of His divine nature and this incredible aspect of His divine nature which is mercy, living in that. Mercy. All right, let's close in Micah. Let's close in Micah. If you have been thinking about making that commitment, deepening that relationship, taking that next step in which your life will never be the same, whatever you're waiting for is something that needs to be prayed about and asked to be removed because you want to be in merciful covenant relationship with your Maker. We've looked at a lot of scriptures today and there are so many more we could have gone to. But it's just this idea of that how He introduces Himself. How He made Himself known. How He revealed His ways unto Moses. And that of all of the things that the one who occupies everlasting to everlasting, of all of the things that he could have taken the personal time to personally write himself, of all of the things and the enormity of possibilities, he chose to write to each one of us, Mercy. And you have to remember that he wrote it twice, right? Because Moses was a little upset when he carried down the first set. Micah 7, verse 18 says, Who is a God like unto thee? Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? It's a beautiful line. When He shows mercy unto thousands of them that love Him, and to read in Micah, and passes by the transgression of the remnant of His heritage, He retains not His anger forever because He delights in... It's rather obvious now, isn't it? He delights in mercy All right, we've looked at mercy being room to return, but I think the take-home, think about, is if we go back one chapter or the final verse of the day. Let's go back one chapter to Micah 6, verse 8. It's really a good way to end this message because he's shown us. He's shown us for a very long time. He hath shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the eternal God Almighty require of you? Do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. It's a good example in Manasseh. As it says, that he humbled himself greatly. continue walking the revealed path, these paths of mercy, these paths of truth, if we continue to walk this revealed way, the restorative way back home, the restorative way to our Father, if we continue to walk this way, walking humbly we may escape having to humble ourselves greatly like Manasseh had to. Because see, if we just keep on walking humbly, we're doing His mercy. Because His mercy is a revealed path to walk in covenant with Him And it's what enables us to love mercy and to be merciful and kind and to love one another be supportive to one another to edify one another and to strengthen one another because you know what we're all on the same path together and at different times the amount of mercy that we may be feeling in our lives and some of us at certain times it may be low when there may be someone else right next to you that the mercy has welled up within them and you need to be merciful to the one who needs to have that mercy level brought up to where yours may be. And we have to remember, mercy Loving kindness, compassion, and understanding also have to be extended forward from us to those, what I'm going to say in the Manasseh category, that maybe have heard God, know certain things about God, but they've been doing this to God for a long time. That's your time. Because when someone is in that predicament, when someone is in that situation to where they're not hearkening, what a wonderful, glorious opportunity to let that mercy that she said, which you are in covenant relationship with your Father, help them to understand what He is offering is merciful, loving kindness, and a chance to be in His very kingdom as one of His sons or daughters that might be worth five minutes of your time. When you put eternity, when you put everlasting going out from here on to everlasting, how much time, how much influence, how much desire within your own level of mercy do you want to extend to others? Walk humbly with God. Love, mercy and know that our merciful father the multitude of the richness of his mercy is there for each one of us bless every one of you praise God and thank him for the Feast of Tabernacles I look back and it's my 20th one and it has been something else I know there are a lot of you who have kept many more than I have, and you know this walk a lot deeper and more intimately than I do, but I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you as you make your walk because we have to endure because don't we want what's being offered? I think of what Jesus offered In one of the letters to the churches, he says, I'm going to have you have a taste. I'm going to have you have a bite of the hidden manna. And then there's the white stone. There's so many incredible things that are ahead of us. And enduring is so much easier when we're merciful one to another. Because I tell you, you get in your points at times that it just may be someone else's mercy that enables you to endure one more day. Brethren, thank you. I love you. God loves you. Praise Him. Adore Him and worship Him because He loves every one of us. Thank you, Ron.